HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. I'm Erica Wides, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Inside School Food. I am Laura Stanley, and this is our last episode for the spring-summer season of 2014. So today we are going on tour. Uh, My guest today will be talking about school food outside the United States. I invited them to join us not just because I thought it would be fun, but because they have insights to share that you may find helpful in thinking about your own work in school food. Call it International School for Thought perspective. Uh, It's a great way for me to finish my season with all of you, and I hope a great place for you from which to start the 2014-15 school year. Um, Before I introduce our guests, um, a question. How many listeners remember the AP Associated Press photo portfolio of school lunches around the world that went viral back in early May of this year? Um, Did you post it on Facebook or did you see it there? Did you tweet or retweet about it? Did a friend email it to you saying, you know, you got to see this? Um, I, like so many of you probably, uh, found the pictures completely riveting. I subsequently found a, a, a really great blog with way more pictures of international school lunches, pictures that I spent way more time clicking through than I care to admit, Um, and more about that blog later, by the way. Uh, I felt like an astronomer in pursuit of life in outer space. I had so many questions. How are they like us? How not? And um, are they smarter than we are? So my first guest, Andrea Curtis, shares my, and maybe your, curious obsession. Uh, She's written a delightful children's book called What's for School Lunch? How School Children Eat Around the World. Andrea is a Toronto-based writer who's written three books today and who's widely published in Canadian magazines. Food and food justice are of special interest to her, both personally and professionally. If If you visit the What's for School Lunch website, you'll find a picture of... Uh, Andrea shoveling compost in a raised veggie bed. Um, Andrea's going to walk us through school lunch and a parcel of nations she has selected for us. 
And then um, after station break, we will hone in on Brazil with Dr. Cecilia Roca, director of the School of Nutrition at Ryerson University, which is also in Toronto. So, Andrea, good morning. Good morning, Laura. Um, so l- let's just start. Like, Why are we so fascinated with looking at pictures of school lunch in other countries? Why are you so interested? Well, it's, it's, I, I know the, the um, uh, bunch of photos that you were talking about, the AP um, photo spread, but uh, I found this happens every year. <laughs> There's okay. always uh, this fascination and, and, uh, and a whole lot of photos go viral. I think it's because everyone has eaten school lunch. You know, whether, whether they bring their uh, lunch from home or eat it in a, in a school cafeteria or canteen, people all over the world have been eating school lunch. And I think it, it actually shows how food connects us to other people, mm-hmm. um, both in the, the similarities but especially in the differences. Seeing what other people eat, it just makes us uh, understand both the similarities and differences and the connections. Right, right. So, so you yeah. decided to do a book about it. That's right. Well, I, I'm a mom of two boys, and here in Canada, 90% of kids bring their lunch to school, and my kids are no different. And uh, every day, I, uh, I actually tear my hair out. My, my uh, husband and I make them lunch in the morning, and you know we're trying to find something healthy and, and portable, and it has to be litterless. Um, and uh, it was it's a very stressful part of our day, frankly. Can and um, so I started wondering, you know, when I'm a I'm a cook and a gardener and somebody's really interested in food, if I'm having so much trouble trying to come up with something that my kids will eat and is healthy and 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 uh, environmentally friendly. What are people doing around the world who have so m- many fewer resources than right. I do? Right, right, yeah. right. So it, it really it, it sent me on this journey, and 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 the book looks at thirteen countries around the world. I tried to look at both uh, the developed world and the developing world, and uh, get geographic diversity and uh, tried to, to really tell a story about what people are doing. Right, uh, and, and un- unusually, it's a, it's a children's book. What, what, uh, what's your target age, age group? Um, I, I think of it as a book for kids 9 to 12. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard about teachers and families uh, reading it that are, are much younger, but um, because it's a very visual book, um, as you know, every spread of the book is a, is, has a bird's eye view of a school lunch from one of those countries. So mm-hmm. um, kids, you know, younger kids just can look at the pictures, older kids will dive more deeply into the text. Right, right. And you, you call your treatment of each of these 13 country lunch in these, each of these countries um, a case study. Can you, can you tell our listeners kind of how the book is structured and, and what kids yeah, read about the yeah, lunches? Yeah, so, so it, it, um, you'll see, you'll open the book and, and, and see this great big image of a, of a lunch from, from looking down from the top. And uh, I try to I try to describe um, what's happening in a typical uh, school, what the kids are eating, what the 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 um, the, the food culture, what what the the um, uh, country's issues are around food, whether mm-hmm. it's poverty or hunger, war, um, whether they're they're really focusing on trying to kids eat more healthily, or uh, trying to make sure that. 
uh, local sustainable food is offered in the in the school. Right, right. You you make this really great point in their introductory um, segment at the beginning. Um, it says, "What kids eat for school lunch can tell us a lot about the culture and history that make them and their country unique." And then, and then you go on to explain that. And there's a, there's a couple of countries that just like it's kind of a read it and weep kind of thing because they're what they're doing is so fantastic. Can you talk about a couple of those? Sure. Yeah, I really do. I mean, that was my, one of the great discoveries for me is that um, I would learn so much about what what that country valued when I learned about this school lunch. So let's take as, as an example Japan. Uh, a lot of, uh, of your listeners will have heard about the Japan school lunch because it really is a, a uh, gold star standard. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the kids actually, so part of the whole experience of school lunch is um, uh, helping out both serving the food, um, clearing up the food, and nobody starts to eat until everybody has said a sort of secular grace, thank you for the food, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and everybody eats together. The, the, the uh, teachers and the administrators will, will sit down with the children, and it's an opportunity to both talk about what's important at that, uh, in that culture and uh, teach uh, manners. It's really it's quite a, an opportunity. Right, and right. Uh, they're also talking about what they're eating. Um, I think it, at some schools there are even announcements, and they'll say, uh, today's lunch is, is brought to you uh, by the farmers in our nearby uh, village who, who, who uh, grew this rice and who made this miso, etc. So um, kids will always have rice uh, in a Japanese school lunch. Um, in my book, I describe, uh, I have a picture of grilled mackerel, which mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of uh, American or Canadian kids would turn their noses up at, but it's a common uh, dish in school lunch. And uh, I also have miso soup, and uh, there's always fruit and milk offered, and, uh, and a vegetable as well. Of right. course, kids are eating with chopsticks, and, and uh, kids as young as three and four Right. Are expected to be able I mean, to do so. Yeah, what you're describing is a really strong emphasis on service and gratitude, which um, really, uh, yeah, that goes back to what you're saying about how it reflects the, the culture. Uh, and by the way, I know that word that they say when they start, because I used to live in Japan, it's itadakimasu. <laughs> Right. Yes, I wasn't going to try it myself, but thank you. <laughs> and then the, and that's right. And 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 there's also a, a similar thank you for the meal at the end, mm-hmm. um, which it, it just it's it it's, it really tells you a lot about about how people think about food in Japan. Right. Um, and I think school lunch um, is is truly an opportunity to to pass on these values. Another example of this, and of course people have often heard about this, is France, where mm-hmm. there is a four-course meal, including a cheese course, offered to children. Um, and, and of course, it, it, this is, is um, uh, the, the meat is, is lean, it's either chicken or a, a lean red meat, mm-hmm. there are vegetables, there's... Um, uh, uh, you can find on, online all sorts of menus, uh, things like butter lettuce and smoked duck salad. Um, wow. <laughs> um, it's, it, it's pretty extraordinary, but it's an opportunity. I mean, it tells you that in France, food is highly valued. 
it's important that children understand how to connect with other people over their food, how to, uh, how to think about what they eat. Right. And, and, and I think that that really tells us a lot about um, how that country operates. Right. And, and your, your case study also describes some of the kind of education that happens around food. There's the annual, uh, was it called Saison de Goût, and kids learn about tasting and culinary right. arts. Yeah. Exactly. So, so there's actually a, 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 a day or, or a week in some places where, uh, the Saison de Goût, that's right, uh, a whole week to, to talk about taste and how, how we can enjoy food and, and what the elements of taste are, how the tongue works, right. <laughs> et cetera. Right, right, right. So what, in your opinion, does Canada's lack of a national school feeding uh, program say about, about your own country? Well, I've thought about this a lot, and I think that um, Canada's self-image is one of a very middle-class um, country where we care for uh, our own. We have a national health care program. It's, it's a real source of national pride, and, and, and as it should be. Um, but the truth is that uh, one in seven kids in this very middle-class uh, country uh, live in low-income families, mm-hmm. and 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 these families have trouble uh, feeding their kids healthy food, and uh, so I I'm, I think that it's a, a sort of misguided self-image, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised. We have an election coming up next year mm-hmm. if this becomes um, a, a big topic. It it's been bubbling for for many years, trying to create a national school nutrition program, and uh, I feel uh, that, that there's a lot more energy behind this right, now. Right, right, right. Yeah, so, so, yeah, so, so there's, there's another quote. This is the one I actually put on the episode page for today's show um, that I loved, and, and it says, um, unpack a school lunch and you'll discover that food is connected to issues that matter to everyone, things such as climate change, health, and inequality. Um, and with that in mind, you know, maybe we could talk a little bit about some of the case studies that are um, very different from Japan and France and in the developing sure. world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I think that um, when you when you look at, at the book uh, and you you see all of these images, the, the four course meal in France, and then you'll turn to the. Uh, refugee camp in Kenya that, that's extremely overcrowded and, and uh, there are no facilities for, for making a, a full meal and kids are served a, an emergency ration of corn soy blend, essentially mm-hmm. uh, uh, mush. Um, and it's fortified and it's nutritious, but it's certainly not promoting any um, vibrant food culture. Um, or you go to... Um, Kandahar, Afghanistan, mm-hmm. which, as we all know, has been um, in in crisis for a very long time, and, and many of the schools have been destroyed through um, war, and uh, and so kids are being offered uh, emergency rations from the World Food Program, which, um, as you probably know, feed over eighty million people in emergency situations around the world. And in this case, so at a school, they would be receiving a package of biscuits, and they look almost like tea biscuits, but mm-hmm. they're super fortified with uh, vitamins, minerals, and protein. In fact, uh, I write in the book that uh, one package of these 10 to 15 biscuits offers 450 calories, about the equivalent of a 
skinless chicken breast and two cups of broccoli. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's super nutritious. But, um, you know, it's, it's a pretty stark difference from the, the four-course meal where you're celebrating the many kinds of cheese in France. Right, right. Um, and your yeah, book really I mean, shows that. The, yeah, go so, ahead. So school lunch can be this opportunity to talk about issues about poverty, but it also, I think there's a, a really interesting example in Brazil where uh, poverty is very much a reality, um, but uh, this... The nation has made a choice to feed all of the uh, 47 million kids a healthy and nutritious school meal. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have, uh, it's part of a suite of programs, uh, they call it Zero Hunger, and uh, it includes farmers markets and popular um, restaurants, uh, and you'll hear more about this, I'm sure, later in the show. Yeah. but. Mm-hmm. Um, they also, uh, for the school lunches, 30% of the food must be sourced locally. So that has huge environmental and economic ramifications for, for the communities. Mm-hmm. So I, just, I think that school lunch is just is a tool. Uh, it's a tool to build stronger communities, uh, healthier communities, more environmentally sound communities. And I, I found that all over the world. Uh, really amazing examples. Right, right, right. So, so of all the nations you looked at, um, which would you say comes closest to the situation we're looking at here in the U.S.? Of all the, of all the countries, what's most similar? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm, that's a good question. I mean, what about um, the U.K.? I would say probably Britain mm-hmm. is pretty, pretty similar. Um, I think they're, they're uh, a bit ahead of uh, the U.S., definitely, in terms of regulations. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they, everybody remembers, of course, Jamie Oliver, uh, the well-known chef coming in, and uh, he, he gave real energy to an already existing movement in England um, to reclaim their school dinners. Um, and uh, probably some of your listeners remember they, they he ma- pointed to turkey Twizzlers, which were on the menu, and they're deep-fried spiral strips of processed turkey mixed with pork fat. And, um, and he showed wow. viewers these turkey Twizzlers, and everybody was disgusted, and, um, and it, it really did give energy to this movement. And, and so they did bring in um, uh, new regulations. And... Um, as in the U.S., it, ha- it faced some resistance. Um, there was one situation where parents, uh, you'd think that parents are, are saying, we want healthy food for our kids, but what they had said in this one village was, uh, no, our kids aren't eating it, we, they don't want it, and they staged a protest passing burgers and fish and chips through the locked gates of their kids' school. Yeah, yeah. And um, I tell you, that sounds so familiar, and I think our <laughs> listeners will recognize well, that, because I that's, I mean, that yeah. is largely in the past. Yes. Um, the, the take-up of uh, school dinners in Britain has been um, really positive, and uh, what, what they're finding is that, that um, families and, and parents and children and, and um, the lunch providers are all coming around to the regulations. It takes time, though, uh, as as I know it's 
right. discovering. It takes time and vigilance, frankly. I think that, um, you know, as the government has changed in Britain, uh, the, the rules have changed and uh, new schools opening. And it, so it, it, it really does take constant reevaluation of, right. of the project. Right. Well, that's what we're learning here in the U.S., and that's, that really is so much of what we, we deal with here on Inside School Food. Um, finally, Andrea, I, you know, it, it's interesting to me that you chose to make this a book for children. Um, and and you also um, are encouraging people to use it in the classroom. And on the the website, you've got a um, a free teacher's guide with some uh, you know questions for, for kids and so forth. Can you talk about how how the book is used in classrooms? Well, I, I think that I mean I see food as connected to so many things. I mean, it really food is never just food. It's it is such a powerful. Uh, tool and and so I see it as connected. The book, of course, as connected to international issues, to obviously nutrition and and physical education, all of that part, but also media literacy. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that teachers will will use it. I think that questions about uh, marketing food to children and the two billion dollar industry that markets mostly unhealthy food to kids. That's something that I'd love to see teachers try to unpack using my book, What's for Lunch. Um, I think obviously there's lots of environmental connections so to science uh, and social studies curriculum. Looking at um, uh, just the food system in general, how does food get from field to table? I have some, some suggestions about how teachers can, can use the book and untangle that complicated knot of the food system. Right. right. So I, I see it as linked to so many areas of the curriculum, and uh, I'm seeing really innovative teachers. Um, do it, use it in that way. Right. That's very neat because it's an extension of, of the kind of uh, integration with curriculum that we're seeing with school gardening here in the U.S. And here here you're using the actual lunch, uh, which is, of course, a centerpiece of the school day. So it's Absolutely. fabulous. Right. Yeah. Right. No, and I think it can be, very, of course, very connected to school gardens. Right. Right. It's uh, such a key right. link. Right. Well, Andrea, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Laura. Uh, uh, you have been listening to Inside School Food's season finale about school lunch in other nations. My first guest has been Andrea Curtis, author of What's for Lunch? How School Children Eat Around the World. You can order it wherever books are sold, um, including Amazon.com, and you can read more about it at unpackingschoollunch.com. Uh, to find a link to that site, visit Inside School Food on Facebook. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Seeing a need to help people sort through all the misinformation about healthy eating, Whole Foods Market added a seventh core value to promote the health of our stakeholders through healthy eating education. In our stores, we give you the tools you need for choosing the most nutritious foods and healthy recipes, as well as offering classes with nutritionists and cooking coaches to help inspire good health and well-being. Stop by your local store today and learn more about our Health Starts Here program and wellness clubs or online at wholefoodsmarket.com slash health starts here. 
Uh, welcome back to Inside School Food. Today we are talking about school lunch outside the U.S. Um, and before I introduce my next guest, a little bit about that blog I mentioned at the top of the show. The URL is whatsforschoollunch.blogspot.com, and I just love it. It's um, such a gift. Uh, there are pages of lunches from 38 countries shared by people working or eating in schools who just basically want to share. I love the photos from the Czech Republic the best, I think. Uh, children uh, in that country eat hot, scratch-cooked meals that include homey, child-friendly foods like vegetable soup, roasted meat or fish, vegetarian entrees of stewed beans, and traditional dark rye bread. The school pictured on the site uses patterned plastic tablecloths and sturdy ceramic plates. Nothing is disposable. Uh, the blog's creator is Nick Burt, um, an American dad of three kids who told me that he really liked school lunch when he was small. Um, Nick is always adding new photos, so feel free to send him yours. For a link, visit Inside School Food on Facebook. So my next guest is Dr. Cecilia Roca. She is director of the School of Nutrition at Ryerson University in Toronto. From 2004 to 2010, Dr. Roca was the director of the project called Building Capacity and Food Security in Brazil, funded by the Canadian International Development Agency. Uh, she was born in Brazil and travels there frequently. I'm very pleased to have her join us today to tell us a little bit about why school food policy in Brazil is so admired. Uh, folks active in farm-to-school work will find it especially exciting for, as, as Andrea mentioned earlier, its mandated reliance on small family farms and the way that it links the welfare of children to the welfare of their local environment and economy. So welcome, Cecilia. Oh, thank you for having me, Laura. Okay. Good morning. Well, you know, so the American press hasn't yet reported too much about school feeding in Brazil, um, but the news we have gotten has been laced with this kind of wistful admiration for the ideals it represents and the priorities it sets. And, and I think it's the procurement policy especially that have people so excited. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, definitely. Um, I um, I believe that... Uh, you know, when you have something new, uh, there are always um, problems all along the way in implementing policy and adjusting to the new situations. But I think that uh, what's happening in Brazil is deserving of attention. Uh, in terms of the uh, school meals program, uh, the school meals program in Brazil has uh, has a long history. We have had uh, this uh, feeding program since the 1950s. But more recently, particularly since 2009, mm -hmm. we have had uh, legislation requiring that at, at least 30% of the funding going for purchasing food must be food from family farms. So um, I think that's the, uh, the piece of the legislation that is getting so much attention nowadays. Right, right. And then family, and it's also local as a priority, too, when, when possible, correct? Right. Mm -hmm. So 30% uh, must uh, be from family farms, and the procurement has uh, to favor local uh, food production, and then, if not possible, through the local food production, regional, and only then national food production. Right. But right. all must be from family farms. Right. And then Brazil is unusual in that it's actually made a, 
a very clear definition of family farming. Can can you tell us what that that yeah, is? Yeah, yeah. I um, uh, you know, this is uh, 2014 is the uh, international year family farming mm-hmm. around the world. People are celebrating family farms, but when you look around, um, we we don't have very precise definition of what constitutes family farms uh, around the world. But in Brazil, since the late 1990s, there was a need for a definition because the government wanted to develop specific policies uh, towards family farming. And for that reason, uh, family farming has been defined in Brazil by four components, and they all must apply. Mm -hmm. The first one is the size. So uh, family farming must be establishments of less than a given size. It varies a little bit around the country because of the geography of the country, Mm -hmm. but they must be below a certain size. The second component is the labor uh, working in, uh, um, in those farms must come from the family. So they can have one or two employees, but most of the labor must come from the family. The third component in um, uh, defining family farm is uh, the income of that family. Most of the income of that family must be generated by farm activity. And the fourth component is management, that uh, the farm is run by the family. So once you have those four components, then you are classified as a family farm in Brazil. Right, right. And the government is making this effort to really um, support them with these with this purchasing poly- policy. And it, and it does seem like Brazil, unlike the U.S., it, they're both nations are just vast, you know, among the largest world's food producers. Um, but in Brazil, you see um, much a larger percentage of the food output coming from these small family farms, which really are a cornerstone of rural economies, right? Well, uh, as you mentioned, Brazil is one of the largest food producers in the world, one of the largest food exporters in the world. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, the agriculture in Brazil is actually dominated by large corporate farming. Mm-hmm. What is surprising is that uh, despite all this, you still have over... of all rural enterprises in Brazil are family farms, and they cover only about 24% of the cultivated land. Mm -hmm. So the majority of establishments are family farms. They uh, cover only a small percentage of the land, uh, the cultivated land, but they are responsible for over 38% of the agricultural value in the country. Not only that... They're also responsible for most of the employment in the rural areas Mm -hmm. uh, of the country. So it is a very important factor economically, uh, although it doesn't dominate the uh, agriculture in Brazil. We still have domination by large corporate farming. Uh, It's a very important um, economic uh, factor in terms of employment, in terms of what they produce, particularly for the domestic market. Right, right. So um, so this school meals policy, it's in support of these small um, and, when possible, local farms. What does it look like, actually, in practice? Okay, so uh, there is... Um, um, the, so the legislation uh, requires that uh, municipal governments um, who tend to 
uh, t- tend to run the public school system. It's all um, at local levels. They must have at least 30% um, purchasing from family farms. So at the local level, you would have a nutritionist that becomes responsible for designing the menu for the schools in that district um, according to local norms, according to local uh, production, um, seasonal production, and that department through that nutritionist is also responsible for procuring uh, local food and from family farms. So um, um, if, uh, and there are some municipalities that are able to accomplish that 30%, although some have not been able yet. Mm -hmm. But uh, what you end up with is uh, food in the schools that are um, regional uh, foods uh, that uh, celebrate the local um, economy, the local customs, um, and um, um, produced uh, uh, from fresh, uh, very fresh ingredients. Right, right. You you mentioned to me when we spoke earlier that you've observed the school lunch in the city. I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Belo Horizonte. Yeah, but Belo what the, Yeah, what what are the kids eating there? So I visited a number of schools there, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they vary. All the schools have a kitchen, and uh, you, all the schools employ cooks who are, you know, uh, civil servants, mm-hmm. and they all prepare uh, meals from scratch freshly every day. In some schools, um, the... Um, the, the children are able to serve themselves, so mm-hmm. they have a kind of a self-serve um, uh, setup. Most schools, they serve the children in a kind of cap- cafeteria style, mm-hmm. um, but certainly the kids don't, don't have to pay for the meals or anything like that. And uh, uh, often the, um, the teachers and administrators will eat with the, the children. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, food will typically... Uh, be um, rice and beans, which are staples in Brazil, mm-hmm. and then some uh, green vegetables such as kale, um, uh, some meat, uh, some salad, maybe a tomato salad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, for dessert, um, maybe 10 years ago, we used to see some sweets uh, as desserts in, in Brazil. Well, with uh, the obesity crisis and concern with overweight that has been eliminated from the school meals program. And now for dessert, uh, kids will have some fruit or, mm-hmm. or um, fruit juice. Right, right. And um, listeners, if you go to, again to the um, show page for today's episode, uh, there's a really delicious-looking uh, meal, very much like what Dr. Roca is describing um, their picture. And that, that's, a, that's an image from Andrea's book. So I have been speaking with Dr. Cecilia Roca of Ryerson University in Toronto about policy that is reshaping school food in Brazil as it supports small farmers, local food systems, and evil, even local foodways across the country. Thank you so much for joining us, Cecilia. Very welcome. My pleasure. You have been listening to Inside School Food, our final episode for spring-summer 2014 about school lunch around the world. If you visit our Facebook page for links, please remember to like us while you're there. We've had a terrific first season here at Heritage Radio Network, where we are very privileged to be just one of a big family of shows about food, 
all kinds of shows. So I encourage you to click your way around the Heritage website to see what else you might enjoy. Inside School Foods Fall Season launches on September 8th. I am Laura Stanley, and I look forward to welcoming you back. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.